Hi, and welcome to the Data Wranglers, a conversation about the latest trends in data engineering, hot takes, and insights on the data industry. I am your host, Joe Hellerstein. I'm the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Trifacta, and in my spare time, I'm the Jim Gray Professor of Computer Science at UC Berkeley. And I'm your co-host, Jeffrey Hare. I'm a co-founder and chief experience officer at Trifacta, and also a professor of computer science, but in this case, the University of Washington, where I direct the Interactive Data Lab. And sometimes here on the podcast, we'll also be joined by our Trifacta CEO, Adam Wilson. Hey, how's it going? Jumping in again today. Thrilled to be here. Crashing the party right on cue. That's right. That's right. Well, it's lovely to have you, Adam. Our actual guest today, we're super excited to welcome Shirshanka Das. He's our guest on the Data Wranglers podcast. Shirshanka is a longtime friend and collaborator of mine. Uh, he's had an impressive career in data, uh, including about a decade at LinkedIn, where he was um, part of what's now a kind of legendary data science and data infrastructure cabal. Um, so this is the group that pretty much coined the term data science and built out open source engineering tools like Kafka and Pino and Data Hub. So recently, uh, Shirshaka stepped out of that role and co-founded a new company to support the Data Hub open source project. It's called Acryl Data. Shirshaka is the CEO. So we're really looking forward to talking about that more today, along with a host of other topics. So Shirshaka, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Joe, really uh, glad to be here and uh, super excited. It's not uh, every day that I get to talk to um, some real legends of the Valley. And so uh, really excited to uh, talk metadata and all things data with you. Yeah, welcome to the show, Shoshanka. So Joe gave a bit of intro on your bio, but it would be great to dive in further. So I know you left LinkedIn to commercialize the open source metadata system that you built there, Data Hub. So in brief, what are you doing with that at, at Acryl Data? First off, you know, Data Hub itself is a, kind of a complicated system. Metadata always is. Uh, it is a project that we started at LinkedIn um, almost six years ago. It started out as a simple search and discovery tool and then evolved over the next six years to become kind of like a metadata substrate. Uh, something that uh, interestingly Joe and I collaborated on at Berkeley uh, was the ground research work. Uh, and we talked about a bunch of these ideas of how do you build a metadata substrate and how can different tools and vendors actually sit on top of these and build differentiated commercial uh, services. And interestingly, what we're finding with Data Hub is this decoupling of the data stack is happening. And Data Hub is often being put at the center of it all. And at LinkedIn, obviously, we open sourced the Data Hub project, and I spent a bunch of time uh, trying to make the community successful. And it's one thing to make a project successful from inside another company, but it's really at a point where you end up realizing that you really need to move the project forward on your own um, fuel. Um, and that's when I decided that um, I wanted to start a company and uh, really take this metadata platform to every single enterprise that I could. In some sense, um, following the Kafka path in, in many ways in terms of how that project was built and then uh, Confluent got formed. Yeah, wow, what a great precedent Kafka's been. But there's so much you, you were onto there that I wanna unpack about open source and LinkedIn and, and all that good stuff. But before we do that, what, like, let's start at the basics. You keep saying metadata, what do you mean? <laughs> it's funny that you asked me that, but uh, 
Metadata, you know, Wikipedia says it's data about data, which means everything and nothing. It's a usual uh, meta comment, like uh, everything about metadata. I think that our definition of metadata has really become data that you care about that lives in your data ecosystem. And so what is this data that you care about that describes your data ecosystem? I would say data that splits up into three different parts, uh, the technical metadata, the operational metadata, and finally, the people and system metadata about tools that are interacting with data uh, are all the things that are coming together in this interesting metadata graph that we are all trying to faithfully represent and derive insights off of. So I think that really helpfully starts to describe what metadata is and isn't. Um, but for those who are maybe new to this area, um, perhaps you could say more about um, why this metadata is so important. You know, what uses are people putting it to? Let's let's take a you know a usual company these days, a small company that has a small data team. If you drop into any one of these companies, the data engineering team is probably three to five engineers. They are reading up literature and saying, "I want to build a modern data stack." and they're kind of assembling different tools and putting them together. So you may find um, a trifecta, a DBT, a Fivetran, a Segment, um, Kafka Connect, Looker, or something else, um, or a BigQuery, or a Redshift, or a Snowflake. And different companies end up picking one of these different tools in these individual segments. And then, they, then the data stack emerges uh, very soon you'll find little bits of transformation that is happening in one individual tool and a little bit of transformation happening in another different tool and a third transformation happening in a fourth tool. And if you look at what's happening day to day in that company, when someone is looking at a dashboard or someone is about to make a critical business decision or about to start working on a new data project, they're all asking the same question what is this data? Where did it come from? Can I trust it? And these are people who are asking these questions. And so metadata is really something that sits at the heart of each of these tools. Um, you are the Trifacta experts, and I'm sure over the years, Trifacta has assembled a bunch of metadata inside its engine. Things like, what does a data set mean? What is the transformation that is running on top of this data set? What did I last produce? When did I last generate an insight and land it on the lake? And then you are handing off, in many cases, that data prepped data to a follow-on tool that might be picking it up from the place where you landed it and doing some more transformations with it. So, Shoshanka, I'm curious, like, how, how does the handoff work between the metadata tools like Acrol's Data Hub and transformation tools like Trifacta? That's a great question, Adam, because uh, we are in some sense reimagining the modern catalog. The old school catalogs were all about crawling and you know getting in through the back doors of transformation toolkits, databases, and just scraping whatever metadata we could scrape out. And Data Hub offers uh, a much more modern take 
on this integration problem, just like what has happened with data. Uh, it's a more push-based integration model, which means that as transformations are happening, as changes are happening in these individual tools, those metadata changes are getting pushed out. And you can push them out in really small-sized chunks. So for example, you could emit a metadata event that says, this schema changed. Or you can emit a metadata event that says, this data set was just produced, or this partition just landed. And those changes, of course, go out through either Kafka, a highly scalable message bus, or over REST. And Data Hub just stores it in its metadata log, of course, and then indexes it in both a search engine as well as a graph index, as well as a key value store, so that other tools can pick it up. So uh, a typical end-to-end -end interaction, for example, is a data transformation tool or a data replication tool uh, brings in a data set into or materializes a data set in a warehouse and then drops in an event on the bus saying this just happened. And then another tool, like maybe a data quality tool, which is listening for those changes to happen, fires off a data quality run. And when that data quality run finishes, it produces another event sending it back into Data Hub saying the data quality score for this data set or this partition of this data set is this much. And you could now have a third uh, consumer, which could be a downstream data processing job that is waiting for a data set to be ready and its data quality score to hit a particular limit to then go off and run the real job that was supposed to be done. So you can see how this kind of is turtles upon turtles upon turtles. You can build kind of a modern deconstructed um, data stack driven just purely by decoupled tools talking to each other through kind of a pub-sub interface without having to take deep point-to-point -point dependencies with each other. And, and Shashanka, are you uh, uh, assuming then that the there's a, a framework or a standard defined that that the various uh, technologies will adhere to for both the event creation as well as the listening that you described? Or how, how does that actually work in practice? A great question. It's two steps, as with all kind of standardization efforts. First, it is getting good APIs. And then second, it is talking about standardizing those APIs. So we are actually on step one of that journey. A lot of um, vendor tools, as you very well know, uh, often spend, and I know this now as a startup, spend so much time building value in their product that building value outside the product is often after the fact, often comes next. So even for mature tools that we are talking to, building integrations with, they have APIs for some things, but not for everything. And what we see happening is this new evolution of all of these tools in the stack that are realizing their, I guess, data citizenship duties. And one of the data citizenship duties that tools have is having semantically good APIs first so that you can publish things out once you do that, then I think the standards can follow. For example, if Trifacta publishes 
an event that says this data set landed, or I just transformed this data set to that data set. And if somehow Trifactor's definition of a data set differs just a little bit from DBT's definition of a data set. Now the ideas, of course, cannot differ, but maybe you know the language and how you define a data set, how you define the schema of a data set. Maybe you define it in SQL, and maybe DBT defines it in protobuf, or vice versa. You know, you you can make choices there that don't complicate the overall semantics of understanding, and I think that's a good first step. Shoshanka, you've done an, a nice job of, of painting for us how metadata systems can be useful so for data engineers. So, for example, uh, via orchestration of different data systems. Um, and I think also for data analysts, as you mentioned, you know, tracking the lineage of, of a metric that might actually pass through multiple tools. Um, I'm curious, you know, are there additional personas that are involved in this metadata lifecycle? And, you know, who else um, do these systems serve and how do they interact uh, with the systems that produce and consume this metadata? It's actually overwhelming the number of personas that care about metadata. They just don't know that they do care about metadata, mm -hmm. but they show up in droves, <laughs> uh, our Slack community. And it's very interesting because the personas that are coming are all over the place. Our number one persona that we see is actually the data platform team for many reasons. One is because they are actually the choke point in many companies at the intersection of all of their stakeholders. That includes data science, data analysts, ML engineers, product managers, business users, the governance team, the privacy team. They're all going to the data platform team and saying, solve this problem for me. It just so happens that the problems that they want the data platform team to solve for them are actually quite varied. There is the productivity and collaboration side of the house, which wants to quickly understand things about other things. So that's the data discovery problem. And that's typically coming from the persona of the data consumer, which is the data scientist or the data analyst. And then there's the data producer, which is often a production data engineer, sometimes could be a data scientist as well, who want to make sure that the changes that they're about to push into production are not going to break all of their downstreams. So that's kind of our core cohort. The other persona, which is also quite interesting, is the data governance persona or the data privacy persona. Uh, these people often come to us out of fear. <laughs> the fear, the two kinds of fear, obviously there is regulatory fear. I was the lead architect for GDPR at LinkedIn, and so I know exactly how complicated these laws are and how hard it is to take these laws and to actually apply them to modern data technology and to make sure that you're actually scrubbing that PII before the, you know, the expiry date of that column and things like that. And so a lot of these governance teams are worried because there's a lot of data sprawl inside organizations and they're trying to make sure that they have a defensible story. And so what is the first step of a defensible story is you actually know where everything is. So you don't have any unknown unknowns. And so step one is, making sure you have a really big data inventory that's comprehensive, which means you need extreme flexibility in integration. And that's where Data Hub shines. And so those people come in often saying, I want a modern data catalog that can index it all, that can show me everything about everything. And then I want to drive modern data governance. And the third persona is the business persona or the business user persona, who's basically saying, 
all this is fine and dandy, but I still want to quickly get an insight. And for those people, we often say, well, Data Hub is a starting point, but it's not going to be the place where you're going to get that insight. We have nice off-ramps into your BI tools, into your superset, looker, you know, that kind of ecosystem. So you can find the thing that most likely is the thing you should be querying, and then you can go off and then query it in your favorite query tool. So that's, those are, I would say, the three distinct personas. So uh, Shushanka, this all sounds pretty um, corporate, really, pretty enterprise-y. Um, and one of the interesting things, I guess, about Data Hub is that it's open source. And traditionally, open source was really for hackers. Um, talk to me a little bit about enterprise adoption of open source and how you see that. I know, obviously, you watched the, your colleagues take Kafka into the field. This is almost, in some ways, more critical enterprise uh, infrastructure. So how do you think about open source in that sense? Yeah, I think one of the things that has changed, I would say, in the last 10 years, and I can kind of give a interesting anecdote. When I joined LinkedIn, I actually had not worked on an open source project ever. I had only used open source. I came from Yahoo, an amazing culture of using and building open source. Like Yahoo had BSD committers uh, on staff, right? So I came from knowing the power of open source, but I thought it was just relegated to the operating system and the kernel modules and like very, very deep within you know, the IT stack. And I came to LinkedIn and noticed that around me, there were a bunch of teams that were working on open source. In fact, my interview process, when my hiring manager was, you know, telling me about the team and I was asking him tough questions, he said, well, go look at these projects, this project Waldemort, and then this other project, SenseADB, and a few others, go look at them. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, this project is out there and I can just look at it and get a feel for it before even talking to the team. And so as I joined LinkedIn and I looked around at the teams that of extremely smart people who were working on open source and bringing in new open source as well, I realized that there's a certain amount of technical talent that really gets attracted to it and then improves it. And I saw kind of Kafka definitely um, take off in that way. And a few other projects like Pinot, Goblin have also benefited tremendously from being open source. Of course, they were started at LinkedIn, but then as we moved it out, a, a few other companies joined in and um, started adding features. With Data Hub in particular, we had Expedia uh, pick it up and start pushing us in the direction of ML models. It was something we had wanted to do at LinkedIn, but they actually pushed in, you know, there's the Google paper on ML models, here's model cards, let's get those models, the not pun in, not intended, let's get the metadata models for models into Data Hub. And when now we talk to enterprise customers, the number one thing that has shocked me is we are not doing slideware. We are not saying talk to the hand, meaning talk to a sales executive who will walk you through a long journey and we will have armies of forward deployed solution teams will go in and implement Data Hub for you. In many cases, we have someone who basically says, hey, yeah, I already tried it out. It looks great. Uh, in fact, can we just get to the real point, which is, one, what are you doing on top of Data Hub that we can pay for? How do you make our lives easier? What does the roadmap look like? And in some cases, for some of the more tech-forward enterprises, and there's some really big names that I've been so surprised by, 
they're like, we want to partner. There are 20 things we want to do with this project. We know you as a small startup cannot do all 20 things. So here's one thing we want to actually push into the project. Are you going to collaborate with us on it? And so those kind of design partnerships, I think, are extremely valuable and wouldn't have happened if we weren't open source. We've got a financial research firm running us on Cassandra, multi-planet, region, replicated, all of those things. Wouldn't have happened if we weren't open source. We would be writing a small Cassandra connector in our garage. I mean, yes, we have an office, but it's still like a garage comparatively. And uh, it wouldn't see light of day because people wouldn't have tested it out and deployed it in production at scale. So it's uh, it actually helps us almost with enterprise um, adoption because this is... Uh, the goal is not to be a tool. The goal is to be a platform. And platforms, I think, really benefit from being open source. It's, it seems like that's a pretty critical um, strategic decision for you guys, not just a technical decision, because, you know, if you wind the tape back, you know, lots of metadata management and cataloging solutions have come over over many years, um, often, you know, hardwired to specific vendors or specific technology platforms and choices. And I think it makes it hard to, to sort of be the universal uh, interoperability catalog if, you know, you're tied to a tech stack or, or even if you're, you're part of a broader vendor's portfolio. Um, it, it, it seems like that is, you know, creates a lot of uniqueness where the community gets to own this in a more profound way. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. And we hear this every single time because each individual system, you can take DBT, Looker, Snowflake, BigQuery, each individual, like Confluent, like uh, Databricks, each individual ecosystem has their own catalog. And they should because when someone is using that system, they need something to help them get around inside that ecosystem. But as we all know, data stacks are very wide uh, and people want not only their data lake to be cataloged or understood, they want their stream ecosystem to also be understood. They want their operational ecosystem. So the MySQLs and the Postgres's that we forgot about that are behind those microservices, those are actually where all action really happens. That's where your real order tables is getting written to. So... Uh, when you just catalog the lake, you're actually missing on all of the real action. And then if you go further up, you've got your microservices that are sitting on top of those databases. And then further up, you've got your GraphQL or REST API in front of that. That is your company's external API that other vendors are calling you on. There's no one company that can actually win it all in terms of owning the compute for it all and owning the representation for it all. So we actually are extremely capable of staying neutral because we don't have any quote unquote horses in the race. Yeah, it's interesting. I like, um, you know, if data is the keys to the kingdom, then metadata is where you put the keys, right? It's the lockbox. And you definitely don't want that to be in the hands of somebody you can't trust. So I think that's a super compelling use case for open source in the enterprise. It makes a ton, a ton of sense to me. And along the way, you know, you, you alluded to the fact that customers are asking Acryl, what's the value add for having the startup around it? You know, and all the open source startups have some notion of that, right? Um, talk us a little bit about uh, what Acryl's up to. Yeah, I think uh, as with most open source, um, you know, startups, 
we are spending a ton of time actually just driving the project forward. So a lot of our engineering resources are spent in actually making Data Hub an amazing platform. And there's a lot of work left to be done. We just rolled out, there are a couple of things we did this year, like rolling out uh, support for no-code metadata, as we call it, which is you can define your metadata models as strongly typed entities and relationships, and then the metadata platform reacts to it. And now you can just automatically create new instances of entities using that model and then get back your graph queries as well as your search queries. So essentially it's like an ORM layer for lack of a better word for metadata. And that really allows companies to extend their metadata models quickly and easily because metadata has always been very company specific. And so we want to make it possible for companies to actually take the core data model and then extend it and not have to fork data hub or run a custom instance. So that was an important, like pretty hard computer science piece of work that we had to do. I remember the conversations we had back in the ground days about how important it was for this to be unopinionated. Um, and all the examples we were looking at back then had these like super specific business terms baked into the metadata model. And, and it, we just knew, right, looking at it back then, like this, this cannot transfer across organizations. That's right. That's right. That was kind of unlock number one on the technology side that we did this year. The second thing was the observation that most metadata systems are just focused on technical metadata. And so it's like one entity and maybe versions of that entity, but that's pretty much it. You don't really get time series and you don't really get time travel at scale efficiently in most metadata systems today. And so we really went deep and built out time series support inside Data Hub. And it's part of the platform because we believe that metadata has to be free flowing and you have to be able to connect all kinds of metadata into the system and it needs to really be just rock solid. Shashanka, I hear LinkedIn invested in Acro, and Jeff Weiner is advising the company. What does that kind of backing mean for you and for the metadata management space? Well, first of all, it makes me feel very fortunate uh, because, uh, you know, having spent 10 years at LinkedIn and um, learning a lot there, uh, you know, honestly, LinkedIn was my first data job. Before that, I was just a distributed systems person who saw data fly by, but I didn't actually know how to store it or process it, or I was doing ad serving systems. So I was good at multi-core programming and graph algorithms and things like that. And I was a networking PhD from UCLA, but I had never really understood what it is to actually have a database log and to store it and things like that. And mm -hmm. so LinkedIn really gave me a, an amazing data education. And it was, uh, I feel really fortunate that LinkedIn continues to back me as a person, as an individual. They, they really believe in kind of uh, investing in the career transformation of their employees. And I saw that as I was leaving uh, with how the executive team um, uh, reacted so positively to, to me leaving uh, and actually wanted to help me uh, create this. Obviously, with Kafka and Confluent, there was already a paved path. So that makes me feel really good. For the project, this means that you know LinkedIn will continue to be a place where Data Hub flourishes and hits kind of those extreme limits of scale um, where we can get that signal early on that at how many entities is this solution going to start showing some cracks and so we can make it better before we hit that kind of scale at maybe a different company uh, at how many uh, recommendations do we start creating more noise than signal right and so all of those validations that we get from linkedin both in terms of use cases personas as well as advanced 
uh, capabilities makes us uh, very confident that we will be able to address a lot of diverse use cases that we find in different enterprises that are all at different levels of data maturity. Jeff Wiener, of course, is legendary. Um, one of the things that people often ask me is how did LinkedIn get to be what it is in terms of its data, um, data reputation, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, many people had a hand in it, many people, obviously. But Jeff was one of the most data-driven executives I have ever seen uh, in my career. Uh, we had my team, as I moved on to you know, data platforms and data, uh, I also had a data warehousing team that was um, not reporting, but I was technically overseeing. Uh, we produced a daily exec dashboard that went out every morning at 4 a.m., and Jeff would ask detailed questions about it every morning at 5 a.m. saying, this looks mm -hmm. off, that looks off, this looks, like he was our human anomaly detection system <laughs> who, would, who would ask all the data trust questions. And so I was uh, on call Christmas Eve and Jeff found a bug in the LinkedIn um, website and I, was, I had to fix it. So it was, it was um, a lot of scar tissue from Jeff being such an amazing leader. And so it was very funny to have, uh, very rewarding to have Jeff kind of come back and talk to me and be like, Shushanka, so what's new in data? And then as we got talking about what we were building, um, you know, it's, it's amazing how he can think from like the inception stage of a company all the way to uh, what are the company cultures and mission and the drumbeat of executive leadership that you need to have to be able to ensure that when your company grows, uh, you are ready for that kind of scaling. So it, it's just been amazing to talk talk to him and get advice from him about how to scale uh, company culture for leadership and, and and employees. Okay, so a couple more questions for you. The first one: you've been running a set of um, sort of mini conferences that are called Metadata Day, or as I like to say, Metadata Day. And I'm wondering if there's going to be more of those for folks who found this interesting. Is there going to be another Metadata Day? Metadata Day is at the heart of it all, obviously. And we've been really busy building a data hub and making amazing things happen with it. We've had two sessions, two uh, days. Uh, the first one was last year and the second one was earlier this year. Joe uh, attended both of them. We had some amazing uh, conversations. Uh, the first one was all about diversity, uh, the need for interoperability and the need for standards. And I think the second one, we delved deep into data mesh. And that was really fun because we're seeing a lot of this diversity of data deployments happen. And so we're starting to plan our third one. And uh, stay tuned. It'll either be end of this year or early next year. So that's the plan. Awesome. And then a little closing question. Do you have a favorite true data story, something that you, you know, saw where people unlocked or discovered something leveraging data and data tools? Well, every once in a while, I get on a call with people in the Data Hub community. And I asked them, so what you're doing with it? Are you on version 0.8 yet? And let's get you upgraded and all of that good stuff. And on one of those calls, I found a company. This is an online shopping grocery style company in India. And they were really behind. They were like uh, on a one-year-old release version. And I was trying desperately to get them to the latest one so that one, we could support them better, and two, they could see all of the amazing things that we had done in the last six months or year. And he said, oh, but Shashanka, 
we have built all these other integrations, and so we'll have to migrate all of them, and you know, there's a lot of work left. I said, what all integrations? Show me, what exactly have you done? And so these people, and we didn't even know that they had done all of this, had integrated Data Hub not just as a UI, but as an API into every single BI reporting, uh, as well as production system that they had, where it was powering type ahead, it was powering data discovery in context, not, not like you have to go to Data Hub and type a search term, but you're in your notebook and you're able to search for data sets right there, or you're in your Redash. I think they use Metabase or Redash, one of the two. Uh, you're in there and you're, you're able to discover your data set right in context. And it just blew my mind that there were people who were moving this technology forward by a year or two and yet behind on the platform, but the use cases have gone ahead and leapfrogged us. Uh, we talk about these things and we're starting to build some of this stuff, but there's some deployments in the wild that have just gone crazy. And so that, that was, I guess, a cool data story, a very interesting data, metadata story for me. Super. Hey, Shirshanka, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to wrap up here this week. Folks, uh, if you have a question or a topic that you'd like us to tackle on the podcast, reach out to us. We're at data wranglers. That's one word. Data wranglers at trifacta.com. Uh, drop us an email and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, make sure to review and subscribe to the Data Wranglers wherever you find your podcasts. The Data Wranglers podcast is brought to you by Trifecta, the data engineering cloud. So on behalf of Joe Hellerstein and the whole team, thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Hare. See you next time.